Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. Over the course of the last nine months, we've received hundreds of work questions and quandaries, and I have read every single one, but our producer, Melody, usually reads them first. And every so often, she'll text me one of these questions with the comment, truly, what the fuck? Sometimes these questions involve a workplace that is behaving in truly unbelievable ways, but more often, it involves coworkers saying ridiculous, offensive, or just awkward shit. At some point, we realized we had enough of these questions to fill an entire episode, but I needed someone as my co-host who was an expert at, one, navigating others' awkwardness, and two, not putting up with it in the name of social niceties. My name is Virginia Soul Smith. I'm the author of Fat Talk, Parenting in the Age of Diet Culture, and I write the Burnt Toast newsletter and host the Burnt Toast podcast. So you didn't say I write the New York Times best-selling book, Fat Talk, um, which congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so a lot of people, including myself, have said really nice things about the book, but a lot of people too have said really dumb and awkward and mean things. They have. So what has been your strategy for dealing with having all of that in your inbox and in the comments section? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I stay out of the comment sections. That's an easy one. Yes, um, yes. The inbox is harder because I have to go there to do my job and then you uh-huh. don't ever know what's coming. Um, but, you know, most of it, you know, I don't internalize it. Like, it is an energy drain to have to, like, read it and sort through it. But mostly it's just super interesting to be like, oh, that is the thing that is making people really upset, their feelings yeah. about processed foods or – yep. You know, a lot of it is just men angry at the sheer audacity of a fat woman existing unapologetically. Mm -hmm. And I can't help them, but I, I, you know, I will get their emails. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the thing is that, like, what they really want is for fat women to, like, invisibilize themselves. Yes. Right? And you were refusing to do that and also suggesting that other people refuse to do that and also refuse to perpetuate that in their parenting right refuse to shrink their kids and make their kids feel like they have to be invisible yeah it's really interesting I mean there's this proxy conversation that happens that's about it's about health and it's about people being lazy and there's all of that and then there's always the troll who's like well I just want my kids to be pretty or (laughs) fat women aren't attractive to me and I'm like but that's that's what it's really about thank you for just saying it more clearly for us you know I think I take a similar talk to you in terms of hate mail, like mail that is obviously not, or even mail that is quote unquote well-intentioned. Like Mm -hmm. I think of it as almost like discourse analysis. Like I'm looking at what people are sending me to see what is touching that nerve. Because that's really interesting. Yes. Right. If you can, if you have that ability to cultivate that distance to be like, oh, this is what is still an incredible cultural sensitivity, right? This is still a hot wire. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating to see how – because I think the people sending the messages often think they are saying something I will have never considered or that I will have never heard before. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of do your research and, like, are you unaware? I did some research. Yes. I've listened to these podcasts. So um, there's a lot of that energy, and it's, like – but I can actually look at this, like, you know, set of 50 emails and see, like, three themes, like, over and over and over. So that is – fascinating um but yeah but I also do want to hold space for like 
it's also fine if it super bums you out and is traumatic to look at because it's a lot of negativity and no one deserves it. And it's a weird, you know, a lot of people just shrug and are like, well, what are you going to do when you have a book doing well? And it's like, this is an unacceptable cost of working. This is not, this is actually too high of a price. No one should experience abuse in their workplace, which for me, my inbox and my book is my workplace. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. That is so interesting. I can't believe that I have never thought of it that way, that the abuse that I received online, particularly when I was working at BuzzFeed, was abuse in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. These are our offices. I mean, you know, we're here on the Zoom screen. Like, this is our office. And all of the messaging that comes in this computer at us is the office. And, you know, we'll talk, I think, as this episode goes along about the responsibilities that workplaces have to make safe workplaces for their workers but there's also just like how it feels different when it's personal when it's an interpersonal relationship so like if someone you knew like I don't know like an uncle or a cousin emailed you maybe not with the same vitriol but like with a a similar critique it would feel markedly different than some rando on the internet yeah yeah I mean there at least I have a relationship with that person And it might benefit both of us to find some common ground and to hear each other out and to, you know, like, for the good of our future relationship, I want to do that work. It's interesting when you write about issues in a public-facing way or exist on the internet in any kind of public-facing way, the number of people who feel entitled to a private conversation with you about the Uh things they don't like about you. Uh-huh. That is really interesting to me. And I think that is, right. a, again, a unique experience for women on the internet or otherwise marginalized folks on the internet that we are somehow like men think, well, you owe me an explanation as opposed mm-hmm. to like I could just read all your books and articles and get the explanation that way. They would like yeah. it hand delivered to them. The ire when you're like, okay, I'm muting you. Yeah. Right. So, like, you can still talk at me, but I'm never going to see it. I always <laughs> love to say that, like, you're muted. <laughs> like, yeah. So, just so that they know that I'm yeah. not seen it in yeah. any capacity. It is definitely uh, satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do you, like, what is your general philosophy about how to deal with awkward comments, mean comments, dumb comments? Like, how does it shift when someone is. Sh- trying to be well-intentioned, and someone who's just kind of like running their mouths. Yeah, I think a lot about some really good advice I got from Regan Chastain, who's an incredible fat activist and writer. And she told me a long time ago, and I think this is like good for dealing with trolls, but also extrapolates to all sorts of interactions. Like, you don't owe them anything. You don't owe the trolls anything. So you don't need to have a protocol about like what's best for troll management. You just need to think about like what centers your needs in the moment. And sometimes it is just like, I don't want to deal. I'm going to mute this and block this. Sometimes it's like, I feel like making a funny TikTok about this comment. And that is satisfying for me (laughs) um, to sort of share it with people who will also be like, what the fuck? This is ridiculous. Um, You know, and like you can just go with whatever makes sense to you. And I think about this a lot also in context of, a comment where someone mistakes me for pregnant and, you know, gets into that or comments people make about other people's bodies or food habits. The person making the comment is the one who can feel awkward and uncomfortable. And so you only need to worry about what will help you in the moment. And it doesn't, and it doesn't mean you have to come across as like having the perfect comeback or rise above or any of that. Like you can be a floundering mess and walk away and that's fine. Um, right. 
that that's that's a totally valid way to handle it because none of it was your fault to begin with. It's not your mess to clean up. And I think this is why these sorts of comments become particularly difficult to deal with in the workplace because if you make someone feel awkward, particularly yeah. someone with more power than you, yeah. sometimes that can manifest in fascinating and troubling ways, right? Absolutely. Like there yeah. can be repercussions that don't necessarily look like them responding to what happened, but it is, right? Like it is a manifestation of that awkwardness is them like, okay, well, I'm going to make them suffer in some way. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're a junior in the workplace, like that's a really difficult place to be. Oh, 100%. And I mean, this is why we really need more systemic protections in place. This is why it's such a victory that New York City just passed a fat rights law that's going to apply to size discrimination in the workplace and housing and healthcare settings. Like, you know, this is why we need those protections codified um, because whenever you have to take that power imbalance into account, you then have a completely different set of calculations. And if there's no larger protections in place, which in most places there aren't when it comes to weight comments, and really with so many of these comments we're going to get into, um, that's a whole different conversation. So this is a great segue into our first question. So the last time you were on Work Appropriate, we talked about specifically handling fat phobia and anti-fat bias at work. So This first question is in a similar vein, and it's from Morgan, and our producer Melody is going to read it. I have an older coworker who makes so many unnecessary and problematic comments about food. Sometimes this is regarding our office snacks, special treats we order, or baked goods that I occasionally bring in. They will make comments about how they shouldn't have it or that people are trying to give them diabetes. A comment I feel really crossed the line is when a Muslim coworker said they were fasting, and the coworker's immediate response was to ask how much weight this person loses during Ramadan. No one in our office forces food on anyone else. If anyone chooses not to eat food, it's not a big deal. Despite all the comments this person makes about food in the workplace, they still eat the food that is brought in. I feel like they are saying these things to fill space or make conversation or process their own food trauma. I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but it bothers me a lot, and I find it a little triggering and can't imagine that there aren't other people in our workplace who find it upsetting too. And yet, just saying, hey, everything you say about food is problematic does not feel like a plausible solution. Okay, so the Ramadan comment, first of all, I really hope that the person on the receiving end of that question documented it somewhere, Mm -hmm. but... Virginia, a lot of these comments seem to be happening in a group setting around the snack table or whatever it is. But what do you think Morgan's options are if she wants to take this coworker on? I mean, first, I just have to say I'm having like a PTSD flashback to my women's magazine years (sighs) where every tray of Magnolia bakery cupcakes that came into the office, which was like for some reason all the time, was like then all of the women's magazine editors standing around the cupcakes saying they couldn't have the cupcakes, they were being bad, maybe taking like a sliver of trying to like split a cupcake between eight people, which is an absurd concept. They are individually portioned. (laughs) You can just eat one. So I have a lot of empathy because this is a very common narrative. And I also, I hear it a lot from teachers too. Mm. I think particularly in women-dominated workspaces, this is common, obviously not just that. But the thing to understand is, This is someone performing their own body and relationship with food. Although they're making comments about other people, they're really talking about themselves. And they're really talking about the fact 
that they don't feel like they have permission to eat the cupcake or be in their body in a public way. And so I think that can help just to find a little compassion for the fact that this isn't really about the other people. This is somebody's own struggle that they are narrating in a very uncomfortable way for the rest of us. That said, yeah, it's not okay. It's not comfortable. It's triggering for you. It's triggering for your colleagues. The Muslim colleague in particular should not have had to experience that. So I think one strategy would be to think about how you could adopt some language as a workplace community that you know, is there some way, and this might be a job for like your DEI committee or something where you can adopt, like we are a food neutral office and we don't make comments about foods and bodies. And maybe this is like a graphic up in the break room or an email that goes out. So it's not targeting this one person, but it's giving Mm -hmm. some framework for the fact that these comments aren't okay and sort of a starting point for bigger conversations about it. Yeah. I love that you point out that there's a way to feel a little bit of sympathy for this person. I read this and I'm like, I'm really sad for this person. Like they are clearly have a difficult relationship with their own body and feel shame about Mm -hmm. eating and Mm -hmm. eating in public in general. And and like you said, need to narrativize it. And I do wonder, depending on the workplace, if if something like a food neutral workplace, like if that is something that would not fly in the right. workplace for, for you know, sometimes that's the, just the, the character of the workplace. It wouldn't have flown at a women's magazine, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> it would so, have been like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, sometimes I think having one conversation, like maybe no one has ever said to this person, when you make those kind of comments, it's really hard for me. Yeah, that's a right? great point. Takes courage, but to even sit down and just kind of be vulnerable. And even if it's playing up more of your own reaction Mm -hmm. than is necessarily the case, just be like, it's really hard for me when you say stuff like that. And I would say personally, because I do have a complicated history with food, I would be like, I have a complicated history with food. And it's really hard for me when I hear things like that, that bring me back to that place in my life. Yeah. And I would look for a way to have that conversation not at the like conference table with everybody around, but may, and maybe not even in the moment, you know, like maybe this is something you swing by their desk a few days later and like, or go to lunch with them in like a one-on-one context. Yeah. If that doesn't feel possible, something I like to do whenever these moments come up and I feel like I have to navigate it in the moment is just look for the most straightforward way to put the blame back on the system of diet culture and anti-fat bias. So if you can say something like, oh, I hate that this culture makes us feel like we have to apologize for eating this food, you know, that's not antagonistic to your coworker who's making the Mm -hmm. comments. It's actually kind of aligning you with them. Like, oh, I'm seeing you have to do that. And I'm really sorry you're having to do that. And I'm really sorry we all feel like we have to do that. Um, So that could also be another way. And because it's also possible, in addition to no one ever saying to this person, this doesn't feel good for me. Probably nobody has said to this person, you shouldn't have to do this. You shouldn't yeah. have to perform your body this way. And so yeah. opening the doors to that conversation could be huge for for both of you. So I was just rereading the question to see if there's any indication of what gender this person is who is making these comments. And it doesn't – it's not apparent. I can see a world in which if you try to gently point this out, that then in the future, every time that, like, cupcakes show up, they're like – oh, but I can't say this around Morgan because, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like they double back on it and kind of make it into a joke that then feels like even more annoying. Yep. 
That's a real possibility. Um, <laughs> it is. A, so we just want to acknowledge that possibility. But I also think that the best first approach is either to think about a group solution, because I, I think that's powerful for the culture of an office. Yeah. That would be a really cool thing. But then the second route would be having that that one-on-one conversation. And even if the one-on-one conversation goes badly and they do start doubling back and making those jokes, well, it was already uncomfortable, right? So yeah. now it's just still uncomfortable, but at least you were able to say something. And that benefits everyone else who's uncomfortable because now at least you've articulated that in some productive way, even if the person making the comments doesn't actually change their behavior. Yeah. And I want to also say that, like, nothing that this person has said is explicitly anti-fat bias, right? Explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. It's real baked in there, but yeah. Totally baked in there. But well, like, asking in- about weight loss, yeah, that's pretty anti-fat. The reason I ask is, even in New York, where these laws have been passed, like, how would this even be handled if you brought it to HR, say? It's definitely a gray area. I mean, the law is so new. I I don't think we've had a chance to test it yet. They just voted like two weeks ago. So it's certainly the kind of thing that I would hope we would be getting some protection for. But I agree, it's a gray area, especially because so many of the comments are more about food than they are specific about bodies. And they're not right. about... I mean, the, the Ramadan comment, because it's like both about religion and body, maybe is falling into a different category there. Like you said, that's one to document. I mean, this is just a good time to also say that people who are not Muslim often ask people in burqas, say, like, aren't you so hot in there? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Other people's religion is not a spectacle for you to ask questions about. Right. And I think that sometimes people think that they're being inquisitive or, like, trying to show interest. Yeah. And just don't do that. <laughs> don't be inquisitive when you really are... What you're really doing is objectifying it. Yeah. Yeah. Turning it into just like the clothing or the eating habits or that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. I think like you could, a more interesting question, there's so many different ways that you could ask a question about the experience of Ramadan, right? Like, what's the meal called that you eat when you break fast? Mm -hmm. And like, what's your favorite thing to eat for that? Right. Instead of how much weight do you think that you lose during fasting? Our next question is from someone who has just totally had it with jokes that are not funny. This is from Lisa, and our PR manager, Ashley, is going to read it for us. I have a coworker, age 37, who teases me about my age, 52. I think it's most likely her acting out about her own age and looking at 40, but it's super annoying. Any suggestions on a good way to respond? I've mostly been quiet about it, but have these responses locked and loaded? Being younger doesn't mean you're cooler. Anything over 30 is old, so you're in the same boat, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like it's petty to even respond, but it's getting old having to deal with it. What do you think of this assessment that the younger coworker is acting out of her own insecurity, Virginia? I'm sure that's true. I mean, ageism, experiences of ageism for women start at 35, so yeah. if not younger in a lot of workplaces. So I'm sure that is what's happening. But... In acting out her own anxieties around aging, she is perpetrating ageism against her older coworker, who is a protected class. So this is another one where you could be documenting this and bringing it to HR because this is workplace harassment. Yeah. And I'm sure that this person would die if someone said this is workplace harassment. Yeah, absolutely. 
they're like, I was just joking. But it is. Like, the seriousness of this is is apparent. Yeah, and I, I think mean, that that's, that's validating to say. Like, I think sometimes people are told that there's a certain type of treatment that they just have to deal with, like a certain type of razzing that's just like, oh, that's what it's like to be in a workplace. And it doesn't have to be that way. No, and I can understand there may be a thousand reasons why the actual pathway of going to HR doesn't feel useful or viable to you. But I do. That's why I just want to name like that is what's happening. And regardless of what action steps you take, you are valid to be angry about this. You are being discriminated against. This is not okay. Making jokes about people's age is unacceptable. So do you think this is another one where if this older woman said even just one time, like, this really hurts my feelings and makes me feel vulnerable? Like, if they showed that, do you think that that would be effective? I think it might. I mean, she doesn't say really how friendly they are or how it's sort of like, you know, I'm I'm curious to know right. more about their relationship. Yeah. And is this a case of the younger person really just not reading the room and thinking that they have a closeness where this kind of banter is allowed? Yeah. And that this, you know, the younger person may have a very different interpretation of it that doesn't mean that, you know, intent is not impact and this is still harmful. But if that's the case, that would be all the more reason to say, hey, we're friends. I really value our relationship as colleagues. These comments really bum me out. And it, you know, it doesn't feel good for me when you say that and seeing if that elicited the correct response. But if it's like someone you don't have a close relationship with, it's hard to tell from the email the level of sort of barbedness to the comments. And that's, I'm kind of wondering about that. You know, I think about the fact that I am older than my partner. And so sometimes when I was like, oh, when I was in high school and he's like, oh, yeah, during the Roosevelt administration. (laughs) And like, because we have an intimacy and closeness, like it doesn't feel offensive to me. Like, I don't feel vulnerable. Like, it's just hilarious to me that, you know, when I'm talking about how we didn't have Facebook when I was in college, he's like, did you have telegraphs? (laughs) Like, what was going on? <laughs> but that too is my like I'm emphasizing how much older, like how different things were. But this does not seem to be the case of what's happening. Um, what do you think about any of Lisa's responses, like being a, a like a snappier response? Well, again, I I always you know as we sort of talked about, I think whatever feels good to you in the moment is totally yeah. valid and worth saying. I will say though, the responses don't undo ageism. Like they're sort of still playing into the ageism. And so if you want to tackle that more directly, saying something more directly about how this is ageism, I mean, that's not a snappy comeback, but it is a fact. (laughs) Um, You know, or, you know, I think so often in our conversations around aging, there's an interesting thing happening where we are still not questioning the premise that nobody wants to get older and that aging is bad and to be avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. And so often when older people experience these comments, and this is you know similar to what happens with fatness, right? We experience these comments and the assumption is it was unkind to say because it's true right. as opposed to it's unkind to say because it's offensive. And that's a really important distinction to make. Aging is actually, I would argue, the ideal scenario for most of us. Like, I would prefer (laughs) it to death at a young age. So I'm pro-aging. I think, you know, we can reframe the whole narrative around aging. As the 52-year-old colleague, you have years of wisdom and experience that your younger colleague can learn from. There's so much power there. We should be 
celebrating this process. Like there's just a whole cultural narrative that needs reframing. And that's difficult for you to take on in a workplace conversation like this. And, you know, depending again on the relationship between these two, I wonder how she could maybe use this as an opportunity to say, like, I love being 52. Right. Right. And, you know, especially if this younger coworker is maybe acting out some of her anxieties about aging, it has been incredibly powerful for me as I get older to hear older women talking about how every decade is better. Yeah. And right? it is, by the way. I mean, we are both <laughs> in me. our 40s. It's great. Yes. Um, yes. Well, I'm in my 40s. Are you in your 40s? I forget. I think we're like the exact same age. Oh, okay. I just turned 42. Oh, I just turned 42 as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, the 40s are amazing. I loved my 30s, but they're way better than my 30s. Uh, they're for sure better than my 20s. Good Lord. I know, right? <laughs> well, and I think like there's a way to say, you know, if we don't want to make it into this comparison too, you don't have to be like, I wouldn't give anything to be 37 again. Like you right. don't have to make it derogatory. It can be more like, I've really enjoyed aging. Yeah. Like, I just love where I am right now. It is a really cool place to be. And that's the sort of thing that someone is not expecting. Yes, right? I love that. Because there, there is this expectation that when someone teases you about being older, that you have to, like, you somehow fulfill the stereotype and are like, oh, yeah, when I wake up in the morning, everything hurts. Just you yeah. wait, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, I think, too, there's the option of pivoting to the larger system. Ageism yeah. is also a systemic oppression. So, like, I'm just so sick of this narrative that women aren't allowed to age, you know? I'm yeah. just sick of this idea that somehow I'm not supposed to like being 52 when I love being 52. And then you're not saying to your colleague, you are the problem. You're helping them with their own anxieties. And you're, we don't have to be so afraid of this thing. Yeah, this is not a dialogue that we have to have. This is not a back and forth, like a performative back and forth about aging that we have to have. Yeah. On a very special episode of Stuck with Damon Young, Damon is joined by marijuana and hip-hop mogul Wiz Khalifa. Together, they engage in a discussion that covers Wiz Khalifa's Pittsburgh accent, the influential role played by his son in keeping him informed about current trends, the dynamic nature of the evolving cannabis industry, and the significance of maintaining good health. Don't miss this episode. Listen to Stuck with Damon Young for free on Spotify. Our next question could be described as actions speak just as awkwardly as words. So this is from Sally and our colleague Caroline is going to read it. A few months ago, my job was split back into two positions and someone was hired to be my partner. My new partner is very nice and I've enjoyed getting to know her and we have a very good rapport. My problem is that she's touchy and I don't mind the occasional hug or pat on the back from a coworker, but her level of touching is uncomfortable. She often comes up behind me unexpectedly and gives me a long hug. When I say something funny, she squeezes my knee or lower thigh. If we sit next to each other, she will rest her leg on my leg or her head on my shoulder. The first couple times it happened, I told her I'm not a touchy person. And that seemed to help things for a few weeks, but then it continued. We are both straight females in our late 20s with the same job position. Is it too late to say something now? Is this normal? Am I the weird one for not wanting to be touched? You are not the weird one. Oh, my gosh. I'm so uncomfortable <laughs> with this question. I know, but sometimes, sometimes Virginia, I'm like, oh, are we just wafts who, like, can't? I mean, like, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. But also, it's okay to not want to be touched in the workplace. I, I don't want to be touched in the workplace at all. Oh, like, <laughs> And good for Sally for trying to say something. So what does she do now? 
I mean, again, this is if this were a straight man, I know, exactly. or a man, That's period, what I was thinking about. you would That's have a very straightforward case. And yeah. sexual harassment is not defined by sexual preferences and sexual identity, yeah. right? Like, straight people can harass other straight people. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it can, like, two straight women, you can still have that being the dynamic. So if she is not open to, conversation about it, then that is definitely, again, going to HR with this seems pretty clear cut to me and pretty necessary Yeah, because your body belongs to you and it's not for her to, I mean, the like leg on your leg in a meeting, like what is happening? What industry is this? No. (laughs) I know what industry. (laughs) I I, I wonder how much to, depending on the industry, like Do they think like, oh, we're like best friend? Like, you know, it's the sort of intimacy that you would have with a friend. And maybe they think like their coworkers are their best friends, like that sort of thing. And if it's like a very intense workplace where there's lots of late hours and there's all those blurred life work boundaries where we all sort of are in it all together. I mean, that leads to so many problematic breaking down of reasonable boundaries. So I'm getting a note from Melody that they work as clinical research coordinators, so in, like, a hospital setting. So, yeah, that's, like, kind of intense, but also not what I would necessarily expect to to, to generate this sort of intimacy. No, that's not the tech startup with no boundaries. (laughs) I wonder if it's worth one more conversation before HR, being like, we talked about this before. It still makes me really uncomfortable. I really hope that you can stop or so. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think given that they are friends, having one more conversation makes sense. But I do think it's a conversation where you need to lay out some stakes and say, I I know this is well-intentioned from you. I am truly not comfortable with this. I'm saying this to you as clearly as I can. And if this isn't something you can understand, I'm going to have to loop in, you know, like there is a process here. Yeah. And... I hope that this person can understand it. But there's also the fact that sometimes when people have those conversations, there are repercussions. Yeah. And so that is something to just be aware of and know that you really deserve support on this and you don't have to be okay with this. Yeah. I think this is one of those scenarios where a lot of people would say, do I want to deal with the awkwardness of them touching me or do I want to deal with the awkwardness of the repercussions of this conversation? And they choose the awkwardness of them touching me. You know, and breaks my heart. And I and I understand that, and I can see myself like making a similar decision at different points in my life. But it doesn't have to be this way. Like your your work should not demand like having a peaceful work scenario should not mean that you are touched in ways that make you feel uncomfortable on a daily basis. Yeah, and I would love if you know if this person really is your friend and they are open to hearing this. It can become something you joke about. It can become something that's like, you know, like there's there's a world where it turns into a sort of thing we dealt with and we can move on from in a productive way. And there's yeah. a world where it doesn't and you have to go the other route. And if it goes that way, that is not your fault. That's not because you didn't handle it right. That's not because, you, you know, that is because this person chooses not to respond to your feedback and your very valid boundary with respect. Yeah, that's important, I think. Like, let's say this ends up with you getting a new partner. That's not your fault, mm-hmm. right? You aren't being a problem. No. They were being a problem. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So our last question is so relatable, and it's about dealing with a negative Nancy. <laughs> this comes from Abton. 
I have a coworker in my department who is constantly miserable and complaining about her basic job duties. Despite our boss's very reasonable efforts to offer resources and assistance, she dismisses him, privately berates him, and refuses to change. I've tried to offer help, be supportive, and express sympathy if she were to consider quitting. Nothing has worked. How do I communicate to her that her attitude is negatively affecting everyone else at the company? I have some experience with people who are similar to this. And, you know, sometimes they're called negative people, pessimists, complainers. What's interesting, if you talk more with them about it, I think, if you if you dig down deeper, they would probably not say, like, I'm miserable, I want to quit my job. This person doesn't want to quit their job. This is their way of processing mm. everyday life. Yeah, that makes sense. Is they articulate through, like, talking about what is bad about it. In the same way that sometimes I go through my life and I'm like, oh, that's annoying. But I'm going to try to think about something else that I actually like doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think the thing to understand is that people are conditioned to respond that way by their parents, mm-hmm. other people who were around them when they were growing up, caregivers. There are so many things that can condition you to process in that capacity. I think a big one is when you feel like, and I don't think the question talked about how senior this person is, but when you feel like you don't have a lot of power in the situation, and maybe you really legitimately don't have a lot of power, there can be interpersonal drama among assistants, you know, like more junior employees in a workplace or in lower income jobs. Like there's no... There's no changing the larger framework of the shittiness of things. So what you have is venting and letting out your feelings and frustrations about how bad so-and-so is. Yep. And coming to understand that, it took me a long time. It took me until my late 30s to understand that, like, these people that are in part of my life, like, they're not just bummers, right? They're not worse people. Mm -hmm. They are just processing really differently than I process. And for me, as someone who is not like that, a useful tool has been to say – do you want help processing this or do you just are you just venting? Yeah, do you want right? do you want like solutions and ideas or do you just want to let it out? Right. But then the other thing too is if they're venting this much, they feel like they are not being authenticated in the things that are hard. And that can mean outside of the workplace too. Mm-hmm. If this were a friend of mine, I would be like, you should consider therapy. Yeah, what else <laughs> is going on? Yeah, how's your right. relationships? Yeah. How's your family set up? Like the yeah, it's that lack of power thing may translate to a lot of different scenarios here. Yeah. And like maybe they don't have anyone else to talk to about things that are really hard in their lives. But that doesn't mean you have to be the person they talk to exclusively about things that are hard in their lives. (laughs) Right. And that's that's something, right? Like the, you know, emotional dumping. That's kind of this is like a workplace version of emotional dumping. Totally. And and that's not a healthy relationship characteristic. So you can understand it and not excuse it. Yeah. Yeah. So how do what kind of advice would we give to to Abton about like how to respond to this? Other than like, are you venting right now? I love that as a starting point. And I think Maybe if the answer is I just need to vent, Apton can say, okay, you know, I've got like 10 minutes before my next whatever thing. Let's do it. And sort of set some boundaries around how available you make yourself for this. Yes. And you don't have to go to drinks after work if you know it's just going to be this. You don't have to go to lunch with this person. You know, like you can put some limits around how much time you spend down in this sort of wallow session with them. Yeah. I think you can also, it's fair to understand that, like, 
talking with this person in the place where they are right now, it makes you feel shitty. Mm -hmm. They're your coworker. They're not your best friend. They're not your family member. Like you do not, you are not responsible for their well-being. Right. So it's okay to, I think, draw some of those lines around the the interactions that you want to have with them. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah. And I think that really resonates because I think those of us who are more fixer, problem-solving oriented people often fall into the role of fixing and problem-solving for everybody in a workplace or in any system we're a part of. And so asking yourself, like, am I taking on more of this than they're even asking me to take on? Right. Because they probably don't realize that they are dumping it on you. Right. For them, they just need to get it out of their system, Mm -hmm. right? They need to dump it, and they're not realizing the destination of that dumpage, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is on the people around them. Right. Okay, like, the last thing that I will note is that it seems clear from the question that maybe this isn't just an interpersonal thing. Like, it's not just... Apton and this coworker who are having these negative interactions. And Apton kind of wants to tell her that she's sucking the lifeblood out of the team. What is your thoughts on that? Because I think this is actually poor management. Like, mm-hmm. I agree. This is not Apton's job. This is the manager's job. Yeah, I think it's like we were just saying, is this Apton wanting to be the fixer? And maybe that's not necessarily the role they need to play and can this be something a manager needs to get in and address with her versus because if it's impacting the whole team that's not right. on any one team member to solve and you know apton says despite our boss's very reasonable efforts to offer resources and assistance she dismisses him privately berates him refuses to change like manager needs to try again but also if apton wants to talk more about it they should talk with their manager i agree about this is really affecting the team. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a scenario where this team member is not a good fit, right? Yeah. Like she needs to go mm-hmm. if she's not going to change. But also, that's not Apton's responsibility. Yeah. I think the best thing Apton can do is kind of be in conversation with the manager as needed and yeah. set the boundaries that they want to set around how much they're involved in. How, you know, and, and the other team members can do that too. You know, like there's a I think there's a troubling dynamic that could pop up here where everyone's kind of gossiping about how terrible she is, and then that's only making it all worse. So looking for ways to kind of step out of that dynamic seems important. Okay, so we did an episode with our mutual friend, Liz Lenz a couple months ago about annoying things coworkers do, like send emails in their dog's voices. And we got so many questions for this one that we want to do another quick lightning round. Let's do it. So we asked for questions about dumb things that your coworkers have said, and we got so many people who wrote in. So to cram as many into this episode as possible, we're going to do another one. So Melody is going to read the questions, and we're going to give ourselves like two minutes to answer. Let's see how many we get through. My boss called me to his office to say, you're gay, right? He followed up with asking me to be on our corporation's pride float. I couldn't believe he would out me, then use me as a token. What should I do? Oh, my God. Call HR. Call HR. (laughs) Are these offices without human resources departments? I mean, I think we have to remember that there are so many without human resources departments. Or or where the HR has established itself as adversarial, right? I know. That is a good point. But if that's not the case... This is an HR violation. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, my absolutely. gosh. Absolutely. Huge violation. Not okay. Absolutely not. Yeah. 
And sometimes people, I think, write in because they want us to say this is not okay. This is not okay. There is no world in which it would be remotely okay, any part of that conversation. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Let's go, Melody, number two. I was turned down for a job. The candidate they chose had more project planning experience than I do, but I had direct experience doing part of the project they were beginning. After I was turned down, the hiring manager emailed me to ask if we could chat about the experience I had that their new employee didn't. He's basically requesting the knowledge he turned down by not hiring me, and I can't believe he doesn't see how this comes off. I don't want to burn the bridge, but I do want to tell him that's not okay. How do I respond? Burn that bridge. Burn it. Burn it down. It is not, not a useful bridge. You don't want to walk no. over that bridge. What do you need that bridge for? Oh, Lord. seriously, you don't want to be. You don't want to be hired by this person. No. no. And it is totally inappropriate that they emailed asking for this knowledge. And again, it's okay. I mean, you don't have to like email back with like screw you. You'd be like. I don't feel comfortable. I don't know. What, how would you respond here? Well, as a freelancer, we always yeah. have the option of saying, I'd be happy to share that. This is how much it'll cost you. <laughs> and as an employee, you don't usually have that option. But I want there to be some equivalent. Like, if you are going to provide that labor and institutional knowledge, you should be compensated for it. Yeah. You could be like, Oh, that would be some knowledge that I would be happy to impart if I were part of the insert company Mm -hmm. name here, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that might sound like kind of weird, but I think it will get the message across. And also, if there's some documentation or, you know, meeting minutes or something, you can say, like, I think most of that's over here. And just, like, you know, go do the work. Go read whatever you need to read. And, like, you can do this work. I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. All right. Melody, question three. What do you do if you have a colleague who is extremely rude via email? I have a colleague who emails as if she is texting someone she hates. Every time I receive an email from her, my blood boils. Should I address it with her or HR or my supervisor? Should I email her back the way she emails me or be annoyingly pleasant in my responses? I want to see the emails because my guess is that she's probably just like using periods instead of exclamation points. (laughs) Or no punctuation is another common, (laughs) you know, like misstep. I think email is the land of misinterpreted tone and she may not hate you like at all. She just has no idea how she's coming across. Yeah. Or she's emailing like a man, right? Like to be very clear, there are very gendered expectations of how men and women should email and I think, you know, I had a colleague at BuzzFeed who once spent a week emailing like a man and just like got so much done. Because <laughs> you didn't have to find all the damn unicorn emojis and stick them in there. <laughs> and I, I also had a, I have a, a good friend who was actually recently a co-host on the podcast who people thought she came across as kind of bitchy in her email. And it, she had to like force herself to use more <sighs> exclamation points on that sort of thing because it softens her, her mode of address. So I think... For this person, I would ask them to just reconsider Yeah, what maybe makes them think that she is being mean. I, I also have a friend who does um, voice to text on her text to me, which creates a period at the end of sentences. And I'm always like, oh, this is so annoying. Right, like You sounds- don't have to be final in your texts. And it's truly, she told me, I was like, Beth, why do you always put a period at the end of your text? And she's like, oh, it's just because I'm talking to my watch. <laughs> and that's how I mean? my watch does it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Investigating what's really going on. And also ask yourself if you need to be as nice in your emails as you are. Could you be getting more done with fewer laughing face emojis and (laughs) exclamation points? 
Okay, next question. I have a coworker who spends a significant part of our company staff calls talking about how hardworking while parenting is. For example, on a recent call with more than 30 coworkers, she announced that her kid had to poop and then returned to say she was done, quote, wiping butts. Now, I have three kids and remember the madness of toddlers. I sympathize, but I also don't want to hear about poopy butts on a professional call. Our organization is super into team bonding, flexibility, and mental health support, which is great, but can lead into a lack of boundaries between personal and professional worlds. So I, a normally empathetic person, am instead feeling like a humorless headmistress in my reaction. Have I inadvertently internalized the patriarchy? Is this a generational thing? I'm in my 50s. She's in her 30s. Is airing home life challenges as part of our work interactions a healthier way to be? Please help me not be an unsympathetic jerk to this fellow mom. Look, she's making the labor visible. Sometimes it involves poop. It is just what it is. (laughs) I think I, I actually I praise this question writer because I think she's seen yeah. some of her limitations. She's mm-hmm. like, what's going on in my head here that I'm reacting this way? Yeah. And I, I think that's that's important. I think it's generational. Yeah. And I get it. I just as someone who also really wants to be done wiping poopy butts, like, like <laughs> it's just I want it to be done so badly. <laughs> and I hope to never talk about it again. But I also <laughs> hope I remember how trapped I felt in these years and can extend that compassion to someone when they're in that and I'm older. Um, Yeah, I think it's making the labor visible. I think it is fine to not be into it, but just trying to find grace for this person who is doing the really hard work of parenting and doing this job. Love it. Perfect. All right. So one more, Melody? Do we have time for two more? Well, we only have two left. Oh, yeah. Okay. I work at a university admin office with a lot of older women, and I'm a younger millennial slash Gen Z individual who is non-binary and gender non-conforming. Normally this is fine, but people tend to call me young lady often. And one time in the break room, an older colleague said to me that she, quote, understood trans men and women, but doesn't get the whole non-binary thing. And that she, quote, doesn't think it was real. I felt super awkward and just tried to casually change the subject because I don't know what to do in that situation, especially when I myself am non-binary. I really like this colleague, but that comment made me suddenly feel isolated from her. There aren't any other openly genderqueer people at my office. I don't want to have to be a spokesperson or anything, but I want things to be more comfortable. How do I even begin to make things better? Uh, this poor person. This is really hard. Yeah, They okay. should not be responsible for educating other people about their own uh, yep about their mis- identity yeah 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 like that is not anyone's responsibility and so i think this is hr is a hard one because i feel like it will be almost too corporate mm-hmm. like like there will be an email that goes out that this person will just delete certainly this sounds like a workplace that could use some anti-bias training um yeah. and maybe that's a conversation to have with your manager or you know as a sidebar but also no this is the perpetual problem of marginalized people in workplaces is you are asked to do the labor of educating everyone in your workplace about your own lived experiences. And this is yeah. never okay. And it's additional labor you should be compensated for additionally if you are providing it to your workplace in any way. In that moment with the, I don't believe it's real, I would have said something like, I guess I'm a unicorn then. You know, I mean, like, they literally tried to deny your existence, and that is absurd. 
But again, to go back to what we're talking about with trolls, like you don't owe them the response that solves it or makes them more comfortable. You just need to do what feels safe for you in the moment. And if Mm -hmm. that's just getting out of that conversation, that's totally fine. Yeah, this is especially a person who is younger in the workplace and who doesn't feel like they have that solidarity. I do think, you know, one piece of advice that we've given in previous episodes is like finding other people at the university Mm -hmm. who are also genderqueer or a part of like an LGBT alliance, right? Like just so that you can talk as fellow coworkers about your experiences and and feel like you have some place to talk about this because you're not going to find that in your department. But I think reemphasizing this is not okay. And you don't have to make this person feel more or less comfortable. Any response that you have in that moment Mm -hmm. is valid. And it's totally fucked up that this person said to you that they don't believe that your existence exists. Absurd. Absolutely absurd. Did either of you watch The Good Place? Yes. I keep envisioning Janet being like, not a girl. (laughs) Like, would they say, (laughs) would they call you young lady? Just like a finger gun and be like... Not a lady. Not a lady. <laughs> just like you, you have a good relationship with them, just sort of if there's like a lighthearted tack. It's not a lighthearted subject, but yeah, no, that's a, a great. And just another <laughs> another way to, to say like, don't call people young lady. Yeah, yeah. Like it's patronizing. It's patronizing. It's you're bringing in ageism and gender and everything, and it's <laughs> it's the intersection of like so many. Yeah, so many. All right, last one. A few years ago, when I was a fairly new and lowly employee at my academia job, an older coworker, a man, saw me outside of the office when I was waiting for someone, looked at my stomach, smiled, and said, should I be congratulating you? At first, I had no clue what he was talking about and even naively thought I was being promoted or recognized somehow for my work. So I smiled back and asked, for what? And he just looked more pointedly at my stomach and asked again, should I be congratulating you? At that point, I realized he was asking me if I was pregnant. Needless to say, I was not. I responded, this time without a smile, with another, for what? What should I have said to him when I realized what he was asking? What can I say to others who make comments about my body or if I'm ever again asked whether I had unprotected intercourse while I was ovulating? I just want to say solidarity. I have been here so many times. Your response was perfect because you said what you needed to say in the moment. You owe him nothing. This happened to me just recently. We were at a barbecue with a bunch of friends who I hadn't seen. Like, I don't know everyone at the barbecue. And some people were coming up and saying congratulations to me about my book. And it was clear that people were looking at me and thinking it was a different kind of congratulations. And it was like, really? I'm still here. Still doing this. This is the very definition of you only need to say what makes you comfortable because this person has violated so many boundaries. So many boundaries. I just want to bring this full circle by saying that one of the great things about your book is that you give a lot of scripts for how people can respond to not just comments like this, but anything that is really seeped in diet culture, how to talk to grandparents, how to Mm -hmm. talk to in-laws, how to talk to friends, how to talk to your partner, how to talk to your kids. Because I think so much of preventing this moving forward is stigmatizing this sort of commentary on anyone's body. Right. This is what we need to make people feel uncomfortable with the idea of talking about other people's bodies because that's the uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Yeah. So even though this guy might never get it, he should feel awkward and uncomfortable. And hopefully the next generation feels 
that they would never want to say those sorts of things or even think those sorts of things because it's none of their business. Yeah, and I will say, too, every time I talk about mistaken for pregnant, because that's a recurring theme in my work in my life, um, <laughs> you know, the avalanche of other people who are experiencing this and who know what is unacceptable is so huge. Like, you are not alone. And I do think we're seeing something of a sea change where people are understanding that, yes, unless a baby is crowning, there is no acceptable time to congratulate people for a pregnancy you don't know is happening. I mean, the yeah, there's just, that's the end of it. So, yeah. All right, Virginia, thank you so much for coming and helping me answer these very awkward and bad and offensive questions. Uh, uh, just solidarity to everyone out there just getting through their day, being talked at by people. It's a lot. <laughs> people are a lot. In the workplace, there is so a lot oh, so all the lot. time. Yeah. Where can people find you on the internet? So Burnt Toast is at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is wherever you are listening to this podcast. And Fat Talk is available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you need advice about a sticky situation at work, we're here for you. Submit your questions at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. We love building episodes like this one around your questions, and you can stay as anonymous as you'd like. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, and you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Alison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. 